Hey guys, welcome back to the Defiant Ones Teen Podcast. Before we get into this episode, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, the Inward Look Podcast. The Inward Look Podcast focuses on your mental well-being regardless of your religious faith. They talk about spirituality and becoming mentally balanced from within. It helps us to center ourselves by finding the calm in a chaotic world. In their episodes, they guide us through meditation and prayer, and they help us to transcend into mental clarity and spiritual connectivity, as well as dwell on all that God has done in our lives to spark joy within our hearts. They make it clear that God has given us the power within our hearts and greatness within our minds. If you guys would like to tune in to the Inward Look podcast, they are available on Spotify, Google Podcast, Overcast, Radio Public, and many more platforms. Now, let's get into this episode. Hey guys, welcome back to the Defiant Ones Teen Podcast. Before we start getting into who we are and who our amazing guest is today, I want to give a huge shout out to Your Best Lifestyles Podcast by Terrence Hutchinson, who is a certified corporate wellness coach and certified fitness and nutrition specialist who is sharing amazing knowledge on basically keeping our minds and bodies healthy so that we can grow and thrive to live our best lifestyles. I also want to give a shout out to the O. Robinson PR Media Group, who has been deliberately and consistently just helping me get work and, and truly blessing me. So thank you uh, to those two individuals. Now, if you guys are new here, hi, what's up? I'm Christian. Uh, I'm your host, Christian Kinderfy Robinson, entertainer and entrepreneur. And if you guys don't know about this podcast, this is the Defi- this is the Defiant Ones Team podcast which was based off of the Defiant Ones Teen Magazine, which was created by me or my brother. The Defiant Ones Teen Magazine is a magazine for teens by teens that shares things like entertainment, fashion, sports, trends, all these amazing things that other magazines do. But what makes us unique is that we are coming from a youth perspective. So our magazine is for teens by teens, and we are sharing useful information like creating businesses, becoming leaders, what to do after high school, mental and physical health and wellness, bullying, sex trafficking, all these amazing things. And this podcast is basically taking that and branching it out bigger because now we are talking to youth, teens, and adults who are sharing their amazing stories and helping us all grow and thrive. So in saying that, we have an amazing guest here with us today, Mr. Evan Montoya. Hey, how's it going? I think it's kind of funny because... Now, if you guys have seen, um, what's it called, that movie? I cannot believe it. Um, Scarface, Tony Montoya. That's how I kind of think of him, Evan Montoya. Let me stop. But Evan Montoya is an absolutely amazing um, teen or young adult, I should say, who recently graduated from Hillgrove High School. He's been a part of almost every club there is and was the same uh, year by nine of his classes and even valedictorian of Hillgrove High School for the year 2020. So you guys give a warm, big welcome to Evan Montoya. What's up, man? Hey, not much. Just enjoying my quarantine life. And uh, first off, I'm not officially valedictorian yet. I'm ranked number one, but graduation's unofficial, so it's not confirmed yet. But That's everything true. else is. 
I know you're doing amazing things. So that's awesome. Evan, can you tell mm -hmm. us a little bit more about who you are and, you know, uh, your talents and hobbies? Also, what programs or clubs have you been a part of? Yeah, sure. Uh, like you said, most of them. Um, <laughs> at least when it comes to science and math, those are my passions. Those are my hobbies. I love them. Uh, they provide a way to better know the world and yourself, in my opinion. I've been involved with, uh, I was co-president of SNHS, Science National Honor Society Chem Club. Uh, I was co-captain of the cross-country team. I was a track runner. I have four letters in cross-country, three in track, school record in track. Um, it was a relay and it was the slowest leg, but it still counts. I've interned at Georgia Tech, done research at Berry College. That was physics stuff. Um, I've won most of the interna uh, national academic awards, but I, I don't think those are super relevant for reasons we can discuss later. Yeah, man, that's, that's still a lot. So let me ask, what made you decide to, to join these? Do you think that the more activities you're involved in, the better? I don't know if I'd say the more activities you just join, the better, because if you're just in the club and you're not actively trying to either change it or yourself, I don't quite get what the purpose is. You know, the yeah. point of a club is to bring like-minded individuals together in order to better something. And if you're just there to participate and to kind of, you know, it's fine if you want to put it on your college application. I get that. I mean, we've, we've all been there, <laughs> but um, I don't necessarily think it's a direct correlation between how many things you do and better. There are certain activities that took up far greater portions of my time and changed me on a personal level far more than other things like cross country track. That's 20 plus hours a week, a lot of the time. And you know, when you're spending 20 plus hours with other people, you become best friends with them as uh, compared to, you know, like, NHS or beta club where you're spending maybe one hour together with those people a month They're fundamentally different and you really get what you give in out of a club So the more I put in for example within science national honor society the more rewarding the club was um, I guess to answer the first part of the question the reason why I joined those clubs was just because I wanted to I joined cross-country actually because I was always kind of naturally unathletic mm. and I figured you know running How could I mess that up? Um, and I couldn't. The nice thing about cross country is that there's a very direct correlation between how much work you put in and your results. There's not a lot of natural athleticism. Of course it helps, but you know, if you're running 50, 60 miles a week, no matter how unathletic you are, you are going to get fast. Yeah. And that's something I really appreciated about it. Absolutely. And actually it was noted that you were uh, team captain of the varsity cross country and track team. Um, so was it difficult doing that? Did you enjoy it more than wrestling? Because I know that you were involved in so many things that you, you did all these sports. You did track and wrestling. Which one did you like more? I probably liked track and cross country more. Uh, although, to be clear, the time division of that, I participated in seven combined uh, you know, years of cross country and track, and I only did one year of wrestling. Um, the reason for that is because Starting junior year, senior year, I developed some lung problems in regards to, I had a really bad lung infection for a while and uh, some pretty bad asthma reoccurrence. Uh, they can develop in your late teens, by the way, fun fact. Um, and it's very difficult to run if you can't breathe. Yeah. Um, so that kind of forced me out of the sport. If I had a choice, I think I would still be doing it. But 
I, I loved wrestling. It was a great experience. It was something so fundamentally new. And it's also very humbling to go from being, you know, near the top of the sport and you've earned multiple varsity letters, you're captain, you know what's going on. And then you're thrown into a new sport where you literally get picked up and thrown on the floor. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, geez. That was literal. Yes, uh, it was. Uh, it it kind of hurt. I didn't expect the guy to shoulder press me, but I learned from it. <laughs> Do you think it was it was difficult kind of managing all those people on the team? Because, you know, sports are different from anything else. You literally have to push yourself mentally and physically to be the best that you can, because if you're not, then that affects the whole team. And since you were the team lead, how hard was that? I think it was actually very natural, in my opinion. Um, you don't, for cross country, pretty much all of the captains are seniors. So by the time you've been there, you've known these people for four or five years, if you started in middle school or beforehand. Yeah. So these are not people you've just met. These are people you've, who've been alongside you the whole time. They see the best sides of you. You know, whenever you set a new PR, you break a record and they see the worst of you when you just fail miserably. You know, maybe you got stepped on at the start of the race and you went down, got injured. And when you know somebody so thoroughly, you don't really have a choice but to at least respect them a little bit. Uh, and I think that goes for every per person on the cross-country team. You know, I didn't always like everybody on the team. When you have 70-plus people, there's bound to be somebody that you don't get along with personally. Yeah. But I could respect them for putting themselves out there, and I think the same held true for me. Um, cross-country, it's also a little unique in that when you're running for 12 miles, you know, on Mondays, you don't really have a choice but to talk to the people around you. You you get to know them. This is not an inherently socially isolated sport. And I think those connections helped me be a better captain because I knew how, who I was working with and they knew me. And because of that, it wasn't like I was giving, you know, orders that had to be done. Well, they did, and I made them do it. But, you know, they would have done it anyways. Yeah. That, that made, do you think that made you a better person? I don't know if I'd say better. I'd, I would definitely say it made me a more competent person. Um, and well, no, actually I, I do agree with the term better in that it forced me to take a larger burden of responsibility. And I think by doing that, it kind of forced me to realign some of my priorities and become more efficient and more empathetic to uh, the people around me. That's amazing, man. So uh, moving forward, when looking at all of your amazing accomplishments, it's clear to see that, you know, science was a big part of you. Uh, you were the co-president of the chemistry club and reinstituted the science Olympiad club at Hillgrove after it was shut down. You were even a part of the governor's honors program and studied physics over the summer um, at Berkeley College, at Berry College, sorry. Uh, what were these experiences like and what inside of you sparked such a passion for science? I guess I'll start with kind of the uh, internal love of science. Science itself is such a vague term that I think a lot of people kind of misunderstand it. It's a lot more than just, you know, a group of collective things that people know. Yeah. Really, all that science is, it's a method that we can use to better understand the world. It is, you know, it is how we are talking right now. People tried and they failed repeatedly until we began to understand electricity and then we began to understand circuitry and we could put it together through radio waves and then all of it comes together. And I think Science kind of highlights the best of humanity in, this is going to sound weird, um, but it's a method that we can use to overcome our environment. You know, humans aren't the strongest. Yeah. Um, from an evolutionary perspective, we only thrive because of 
our incredible ability to run, by the way, we are fantastic distance runners. And then our ability to think. And by thinking, we've transformed the world around us on such a fundamental level that Earth without humans is pretty much uncomprehensible. Mm. And the ability to utilize or the internet and have such a wide array of knowledge at my fingertips is astounding. You know, I have access to everything that humanity has ever learned. And I think I would be a fool to not take advantage of it. And I think the ability to kind of pursue science within all of these elements highlights it. I'm going to touch on GHP the most because I found that experience the most transformative. Mm -hmm. um, if you're not familiar with the governor's honors program, it's, it's fantastic. But basically you go through like, I don't know, I think I had like seven interviews or something. And then they take the top applicants uh, from the state of Georgia. And then you all spend the summer at uh, whatever college is currently hosting it right now. It's Barry college before that it was Valdosta. And then you just spend four weeks studying your major with like-minded peers. And I think the like-minded peers is the most important part. Uh, there were 13 physics majors my year, mm. and all of us were heavily, heavily self-motivated. And I think being so far behind really forced me to kind of reevaluate why I like physics. Mm. Did I like it because I was good at it, or did I like it because I enjoyed the process of learning? And it ended up being that it was the latter. Uh, I conducted an, an interesting experiment with two people who would go on to be some of my best friends. And I think the bonds that can be made, and <laughs> chemistry joke, but by studying uh, just together with people and pursuing such knowledge is a lot more solid than most people would think. You know, I, I still stay in touch with them, and one of them's up at Harvard right now, I think. Wow. Yeah. In regards to SNHS and Chem Club, those were kind of conjoined in a way because the uh, the amount of people who attended both was almost 100% identical. But I really enjoyed it because it was basically just a platform for me to kind of talk about what I found interesting that's going on in the world today. You know, if you look at the news, you're never going to see what's happening in the world of uh, physics or the world of computer science unless if you make a deliberate effort to discover those things. Yeah. So I, I enjoyed being able to kind of spread some of the knowledge I found myself. Well, that's amazing. I mean, that, that's a whole lot. So do you think all of that work and all that stuff, all that time you spent, uh, you know, collaborating with all these amazing people who you're still best friends with, who are doing amazing things at Harvard, uh, do you think that all paid off when you won four medals at the Regional Science Olympiad competition? No, I think it all paid off when I uh, did it in the first place. I think that winning the four medals was, it was kind of nice, but it wasn't transformative. Um, in the fact that what, like the medals themselves are kind of meaningless in a sense. They indicate that I scored better than, I don't know how many people it was, but on tests regarding like a circuit labs or thermodynamics and stuff. But I think the process of actually studying it was what makes you a better person. And I think it goes for anything, you know, whether it's SAT score, valedictorian, GPA, national merit, what colleges you got into. Getting into those colleges or winning the award itself is, you know, inherently arbitrary. It's it's a piece of metal we give each other to signify that the time spent was worth something. But I think the fact that you spent the time in the first place means that it was valuable enough to merit it. You know, time is the one resource that nobody will ever have enough of. It's it's something that you can never get back. And I think if something is worth devoting time to, then whatever it is is worth it. That was a great answer, man. So you think the 
the medals and all the praise isn't really what what you're going for. It's just the experience and the knowledge that you'll garner from it. Yeah, don't get me wrong. It's nice, but it it doesn't mean anything. You know, in, in 10 years, I'm going to even forget what events I won those medals in, but I'm not going to forget studying for it itself or the actual process of it. Yeah. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah. So you were certified and became an intern at the Georgia Tech Research Institute over the summer of 2019. Can you tell us what great things you accomplished and learned there? I can tell you some of it, but most of it is classified. Um, Georgia, Tech, if you're, Georgia Tech Research Institute is basically a subsidiary of Georgia Tech itself. Um, for those of you who don't know, Georgia Tech is, they do a lot of Department of Defense contracts. Um, the specific lab I was working at, it was called ATAS which is aerospace, transportation, and advanced systems. We did two primary things. We made radars and we made UAVs. I was working with the radar section and one radar that they were making had a problem uh, with differentiating basically non-moving stuff from moving stuff. Um, because you know, radar, it sends out an electromagnetic burst and when it comes back, it says, oh, there's stuff here, here, and here. Yeah. Uh, but I don't really care if there's a mountain there because that mountain is not going anywhere. But if there's an F-35 fighter jet, uh, heavily armed, coming to blow me up, I want to know what that is. <laughs> um, and due to some of the technical layout of the radar itself, we couldn't really use standard solutions. So we had to kind of develop our own. Um, mm -hmm. So I worked with a team of researchers to help do that. I made, I made some simulations in order to help knit stuff out. And I think that's as much as I'm allowed to say. Although I can tell you about some of the qualifications I earned. Um, basically, uh, it was a fantastic program. It's through the Tag Ed Collaborative. If anybody's interested, feel free to reach out to me. Um, but basically, they pair you up with a mentor, and then they just teach you stuff about that career field. And I think the internship itself was probably one of the most important experiences I've gotten out of high school in that high school teaches you a lot of things, but it doesn't teach you how to actually work. Yeah. Um, you know... It, it's one thing to learn about math and physics in the classroom, and it's another thing to actually have an engineering job. Yeah, um, to apply it. Yeah, 100%. And the application is what people will pay for and what you need to do in order to change the world. Nobody cares about just numbers on a page, well, unless you're a math major, but I don't know why you want to do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. So you were noted in, in science and in just amazingness, um, but you were also big in Spanish and in learning other cultures. So having completed seven years and being a part of the Spanish Iron Honor Society, how important is it to be culturally diverse and even to the point where you come to learn another language? Well, I'm going to answer this in a roundabout way. So bear with me for a second. One thing that I always find kind of bothersome is the stereotype of, you know, the math or science nerd who's physically unable to talk to people using words. Yeah. And that cliche bothers me so much because, you know, if you aren't able to adequately communicate with somebody and get your ideas out there, all of the beauty gets lost within translation. You know, at GHP, I met some people who I would consider way smarter than myself in math and science who were, you know, researched alongside me. But for the life of them, they were not able to talk to people normally. Mm -hmm. And if you were incapable of doing that, it doesn't matter how smart you are. Engineers work in teams of sometimes hundreds of people. And if you can't collaborate with those hundreds of people, it doesn't matter what you can do. Um, 
And Spanish is really just an extension of that. Uh, learning another language, it kind of alters, it physically alters the structures of your mind. It makes you a better learner in general. Uh, the same goes, same holds true for learning music. You know, the brain is a muscle and the more ways you exercise it and the different ways you exercise it all build on different uh, strengths. And, you know, learning a language is a Spanish. Uh, it's also particularly important within the U.S. because, you know, we don't have an official language. We're a very multicultural society, especially as, you know, upcoming trends will dictate. And the ability to communicate and empathize with others, I think, can only be granted if you understand, you know, their culture, at least a little bit. You know, it's better than nothing. And any effort by learning a language, by reaching out to them, just improves your empathy and your ability to talk with people. And I think that's one of the most important skills anybody can have, you know, in, I think it's Norway in kindergarten, they don't learn how to count. They don't learn the alphabet. Like we do here in America, they learn how to socialize. Oh wow! Um, yeah. And I think it's an interesting approach to education. I don't know how well it would transfer over to the U S but it works wonders in Norway. They have one of the best education systems in the world. Sweet. And I heard it's also been noted that you get better jobs and you learn better communication skills or better that you're better um, with people when you know another language. Like if you work at a store, they want to hire somebody that can be, you know, approachable by anyone. So I heard that as well. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, if you're going business, then it's a massive perk, especially depending on what language you want. In the U.S., you know, Mandarin, Spanish, uh, those are two that are in particularly high demand. If you want to go the military route, you want Farsi. Um, but the ability to talk with people of all different creeds is incredibly important. You know, it's just as important as knowing math, as knowing science. It's, you know, math is its own language in a way. And uh, ironically, I'd say it's the most universal one there is, far more so than English. So. It's dropping knowledge. <laughs> Jeez, I'm learning some stuff. So with all of the stuff that you've been a part of and all the things you're doing, with, with the countless hours that you're spending at school, how do you manage, you know, the time you have between school, work, clubs, and life? Uh, well, when I kind of first started doing everything, I just, I didn't sleep. Um, most of this because I sucked at time management, though. Fun yeah. fact. <laughs> That's one thing you definitely have to learn going into high school. Yeah, 100%. And I think, if you don't learn time management in high school, you will be forced to learn it in college and it will not be pleasant. Yeah. Um, but time management is really what differentiates people. Um, one thing I don't always get is socially, there seems to be a bit of a disconnect between, you know, being good at athletics and being good at, you know, other skills like um, programming or math, you know, there's within high school, it's, acceptable to say like I'm bad at math which is it's weird to me because you know if somebody says I'm bad at football and they're a football player it's like okay we'll train more yeah uh, same thing goes for math if you're bad at math do more math that's the only way anybody gets good at it mm. sure you know natural aptitude plays a bit of a role but I can tell you that Isaac Newton was not he, <laughs> he was not born just knowing calculus he spent 20-ish years making it and you know, that is not the making it where it's, oh, you know, I'll spend 15 minutes a day on it in between using my phone. That is, he did not have a life outside of making that. Yeah. Um, and I think just the ability to dedicate oneself to something that they enjoy uh, makes time management manageable in a way. You know, if it's something you hate, you're never going to get it done. You have to 
actually love it. I love to run. I love, I love learning. And, you know, I enjoy both of those where it becomes a priority. Absolutely. So can you walk us through maybe like, say a week between all of those things? What, what would you do in between the time that you have? Because I think it's neat. Uh, I've heard this phrase a thousand times. We all, we all are, uh, have 24 hours in a day. The difference between all of us is what we do in between those hours. So how do you manage literally like walk through uh, a day, a week? Uh, I'm going to go to a week from last year when it was kind of normal. <laughs> um, you know, my week, my week right now is vastly different from any other week. But, Absolutely. you know, from like a standard school day when I was still running, I'd wake up at around 7.30ish, get ready for school, leave. If I had like a club meeting that morning, I'd leave earlier, you know, get there at 8.15 or no, get there at like 8 normally. Um, you know, school day goes by, learn in my classes, get some homework. After that, go straight to track. Uh, that's typically after school lunch from 3.30, I change, go down there. Uh, I get home at around 6.30 normally. Mm-hmm. Um, it's long run day, maybe longer. If it's just a recovery run, maybe less time. Uh, and at that point, I shower, grab a bite to eat. I'm done by maybe 7, 7.30. Depending on how much work I have, I can normally knock out my homework by like 11 or midnight and I'll normally spend an hour or two on just personal research um be in bed at like 1 a.m or 2 a.m yeah uh, so while not commendable it was a sacrifice that i was willing to make you know a lot of times i hear a phrase like in college you can have sleep a social life or good grades pick two mm-hmm. um and i chose good grades and a social life yeah and the reason the reason i asked that is because like most high schoolers uh you know, 60% of high schoolers are involved with extracurricular things. So we all do have to manage time. And I think the biggest problem I've had with doing it, and I've been in step team, drumline, uh, all these things, is the time management and basically working. How do you, did you have a job while doing all that stuff? Uh, I'm fortunate enough where my, my position enables me to work as a tutor. Mm. Uh, and that, you know, I have a fairly unique set of skills and qualifications that very few other people in the state of Georgia have. Um, so, you know, if I want to do SAT tutoring, I don't really have a problem with finding people who need tutoring. Um, and the nice thing about that is it lets me work my own hours and generally far above minimum wage. So, so you created your own opportunity so you could still do everything you wanted and more. Yeah, 100%. Why not? That's awesome, man. Um, so... Let me ask you, why is education so important for the youth of today? Education is one of the few things in life that nobody can take from you. Uh, it's, it's an innate characteristic of you. You know, really, when you graduate, all you get is a piece of paper. But hopefully, you know, if you kind of utilize your school experience to the max, then you learn how to solve problems. And first and foremost, that's what employers want. And if you want to be your own employer, that's what you need to be able to do. You need to be able to solve problems. It doesn't matter what they are. Yeah, uh, you know, science, economics, math, they're all incredibly intertwined in that they're all different ways of, you know, solving a problem. Math is really just an application of philosophy, in my opinion, um, at a fundamental level. And just being able to think is the most powerful skill anybody can have. It's yeah. brought empires to its knees and it's created others, you know. If it weren't for, you know, the founding fathers and philosophy and the enlightenment, 
the U.S. wouldn't exist as it was today, and the same would hold true for almost any other state. Um, and I would say today in particular, it's important because you have the ability to be the most educated generation ever. You know, what you learn in school is such a minimum of the knowledge out there. You know, Wikipedia, for all the flack it gets, is a gold line of information. It contains basically everything that's ever happened and everything that we know. You know, if you want an article on quantum entanglement and then you want to go learn about, you know, deep neural networks, it's possible. Um, you know, YouTube is a gold mine for good math channels if you're just looking for even recreational mathematics. Yeah. And, but at the same time, it also means that misinformation is rampant today. Uh, you know, somebody can post something on the internet and regardless of whether it's factual or not, you can, you know, see it on Twitter, Reddit, YouTube with, you know, millions of views. And mm -hmm. it's important to be able to differentiate it's important to be able to find the truth for yourself. And I think education is the only tool that gives you that. Absolutely. And going and seeing, li literally living um, the high school and, you know, the college, not college, um, kind of the education system they have today, they're not teaching us everything that we need to know in life. So you're almost an uh, expert, I would say, in almost everything there is. What have you not learned from school? What would you have liked to learn in your um, high school experience? Um, I, I wouldn't say I'm an expert in everything. I'm an expert in nothing. The only thing that I have learned how to do from high school is take a test. Um, and don't get me wrong. I've learned skills, but none of those skills were necessarily mandated by the, like by the government itself. What really taught me was good teachers. You know, those who are willing to, you know, put in a little extra effort and to show you that why something happens, not just, you know, X plus three equals 10, what is X? There's so yeah. much more to that. You know, the main thing that I've learned from, well, I've learned from school itself is it kind of acts as a starting point. You know, if we're in physics and we're learning about, you know, Newtonian or like, not Hamiltonian mechanics, we never did that. But if we're talking about, you know, like uh, rotational inertia and stuff, that provides a starting stone for me to jump off of, to go delve into the internet, to find, out why this is important, what this works, what are the modern day applications, how can we utilize this? It's where you can find proofs. Like most people who take a math course in high school will never see a proof in their lives, which I find absurd given that the ability to prove that something is true is one of the most fundamental skills you can have in my opinion. Yeah. And I think standardized tests, while they are a, necess they are a necessity in the way that, you know, you can only have so many ways to measure everybody in the nation to see if they're doing well, but they also kind of incentivize just teaching to the test. And, you know, I don't blame this. I don't blame, you know, our school at all. I think our school is fantastic. Um, we're in a pretty good position in my opinion. Uh, we have great teachers. I've had, you know, at least one or two teachers every year who I go, wow, they are outstanding. Yeah. Um, and those are the teachers that really taught me more than anything else. Um, yeah. Got you. Man, I, I'm just going to be real here. I'm learning some stuff just listening to you. I hope so. I'm learning stuff just listening to me. Sometimes the act of vocalizing is far more powerful than just having it stored away in your memory. Yeah. You don't always know something is true until you say it. There's a certain power that comes with bringing forth the thoughts up here and putting them out into the world. Yeah. So I know my listeners are, are truly blessed right now. Thank you. Um, so let me ask, who is your biggest inspiration? I, I can't say biggest, but there's two who deserve equal amounts of respect. And they would be 
maybe maybe three. Um, so these are kind of obvious, but Isaac Newton and Albert Einstein. Yeah. They're they're fantastic. Isaac was okay. He might have been like kind of a lunatic, but he was also brilliant. And I think at a certain point, those two things kind of go hand in hand. Like there's a line between being a genius and being crazy. And then Isaac Newton took that line and he used it as a jump rope. Mm. Um, but the man, the man was crazy. For those of you who don't know, he basically figured out how all of physics worked for that time period. You know, it's called Newtonian mechanics for a reason. Uh, it was, he solved physics to such an extent that, you know, the university of Oxford professor, uh, who taught physics basically told people, Hey, switch majors. Isaac Newton just solved this. Wow. Um, he was, okay, this is debatable. This is a little mathematical, historical future, you guys. Um, the creation of calculus, two people independently claimed to create it, uh, Newton and Leibniz. Uh, Newton gets all the clout. Sorry, Leibniz. Um, but we only found this out because one of his friends, who was an astronomer, basically told him about this problem in that uh, the planets, they orbit in elliptical pattern, not like circularly. So it's really hard to figure out, you know, the rates of stuff like that. And you need a calculus to do it. Yeah. And he told Isaac Newton that. And then Newton told him the answer immediately. He's like, oh, what are you guys talking about? I solved that 10 years ago, but he just never published it. Um, so <laughs> after doing that, I think it was Haley. He convinced him to publish it. And, you know, that's just, that's just such a power move. I have no, ch <laughs> no choice but to applaud him. Yeah. Um, and he also fundamentally changed England's economy. But nobody cares about that. Um... And then Einstein, I don't know if everybody says he fails math. That's a blatant lie. He aced almost every mathematical class he's ever taken. But I don't think people realize how fundamentally he changed physics in that there are basically three main areas within the fields of physics today. There's classical mechanics, which is some of the stuff that we learned in school, you know, like electricity, magnetism, uh, you know, motion, kinematics, stuff like that. There's quantum mechanics, which we won't get into because I could talk about that for hours and we're in a limited time frame. And there's relativity. Uh, and Einstein is single-handedly responsible for almost all of the fields of relativity. Wow. He published his first one in 1905 on special relativity, which basically proved that time is not constant. Um, and then he did it again in 1916, I think, talking about how time is not constant, but in a more general sense, which is why it's called general relativity. Um, but his work is just so fundamental that we are proving predictions from general relativity, like within the last two years. Do you remember when people were discussing like uh, gravitational waves? Yeah. He predicted that in 1916 before we even knew what black holes were. Like wow. it, was, it was crazy. The man is arguably the last and only physicist to be a household name. It's amazing, man. And I think at this rate, you're going to start to become just like him. Mm, I doubt it. I'm not, I'm not crazy enough. I'm too sane. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So um, how much does it mean to you to be named Student of the Year by nine of your classes and even valedictorian of Hillgrove High School? I mean, that's nice. Um, <laughs> like, uh... Yeah, I don't, I don't actually have too much to say about that. It's kind of, um, it's kind of just like a factual matter, you know, like it happens, but like I said earlier, you know, it, it doesn't change who I am. Yeah. Like it's a nice thing to put down on college applications, but you know, now that I'm in college, you know, nobody's going to care in five years. Yeah. 
And I think it's I think it's pressuring because when I hear the word valedictorian, I think, oh my gosh, they they spent all their time working so hard. Is that completely true, or do you think not at all? That is not at all true. Yeah, I, I spent a lot of time working hard, but I enjoyed high school. Hmm, so the title the title really doesn't mean everything. No, not at all. If the title meant anything, it would be meaningless. Huh. Okay. So that's a bit paradoxical, but here's what I mean by that. Like, if the title meant everything, then the act of getting it would have cost far too much. You know, if I had to sacrifice everything that I enjoyed about high school, you know, the process of learning, um, you know, hanging out with my friends, because I did that a lot, despite what most people might believe, mm. um, then why, why would I have tried to get it? And what would the point be? You know, it's, it's a nice check mark, I guess, but... You know, all the research I've done, all the people I've met, they were far more transformative than who I was than, you know, being named like student of the year. I don't know. I won I won a lot of awards, but none of them are gonna none of them are gonna matter in the future. I'm gonna I will cherish the stuff that changed me in any way, for the better or for worse. Because, you know, our lives are defined by our experiences. That's the only thing that differentiates them from each other. And you know, the fact that all of us have unique experiences is what makes humanity incredible. You know, there are seven, eight billion of us on this planet, and each of us is unique in a way. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, man, that's going to... Oh, to kind of, to like, highlight that, I read a paper once by saying that um, there are about 37,000 high schools in the U.S. each year, which means that there are 37,000 valedictorians in the U.S. each year, right? You know, some of them will be smarter than me, some of them will be not as smart as me, but that doesn't matter. Like I said, you know, even if there's 37,000 of us who are valedictorians, that's only a small component of our identity, or hopefully it's a small component. If it's your entire identity, you're, you did something wrong. Yeah. Um, but it will be part of who I am, but it's not all who I am. And I guess some of it is kind of dulled down by the fact that we're in quarantine right now and high school doesn't feel real itself yeah um but i don't know it's i got not, you it's not that a big a deal to me got you but um you know now that you've actually done everything and that you're you're finished how does it feel being done with all you know the necessary years of your education and does the coronavirus affect um of having postponed or canceled even prom and graduation, does that affect you? I mean, it's all kind of anticlimactic. Um, you know, it feels like we're all building up to something and then we just stopped building up and there was never anything and we're just done now. Yeah. Which, you know, I don't love it. I see the necessity of it and I will gladly, you know, social distance if it saves lives because I saw this really, influential question somebody asked me they're like yeah COVID-19 only has a fatality rate of you know one to two pe one to two percent right mm -hmm. and then they followed up with, okay name one to two close friends or family who you're willing to let die and I was like oh that kind of hurt um so it kind of brings up that you know while it does suck if it's a necessity that will save lives I will gladly accept it you know if I can get out of a global pandemic with my health intact and the health of my family and friends intact, that's a massive win for me. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's definitely disappointing that prom and, well, 
graduation might not be like officially canceled. I've heard some talks that they might be doing online stuff. I don't know if that's real or not, but it, it won't be the same regardless, which is the point. Um, so I don't love it, but it is what it is. And if there's nothing I can do to change it, which is sad because I'm just a high schooler. If I was in college, I'd be getting my hands dirty with this. But um, I don't love it. And I guess the necessary years of education, I've kind of felt like the past two years I've just been checking off a box. I'm ready to get going. I'm ready to, to learn. You know, like I said, high school, it teaches you mostly just how to pass a test. I'm ready to, I want to tackle the problems that the world is facing today. And I think that I'll be able to do that from a far better situation when I'm in, in college. So that's amazing, man. And speaking of college, I have to ask with everything you've done and all your accolades, what's next for you? And what's your next step in life? That is a great question. And I don't know yet. <laughs> so I've been accepted to, I basically narrowed down um, to two colleges. I was offered a place at M, a spot at MIT and I was also accepted to Georgia Tech. Now, you know, if it was just a question of which school would I prefer to go to, MIT. Sorry, Georgia Tech, but <laughs> MIT is MIT. But it is not a question of just which would I prefer. It's also a question of, you know, finances and other stuff like that. Um, and Georgia Tech offered me their presidential scholarship, which would be, you know, a full ride, and then also access to professors one-on-one, -on -one, stuff like that. They'd pay for international travel, uh, research conferences, internships, stuff like that. While if I went to MIT, I'd pay, like, I'm not going to say it on air, but significantly more than nothing. Yeah. And I wouldn't be able to afford it unless I took an Air Force scholarship, which I was offered, um, which would be interesting. Um, it would mean I would most likely work in cybersecurity, but I don't know how I feel about either path yet, because don't get me wrong, they're both great options, but this is arguably the single most important choice I'll make with my life thus far. Yeah. You know? where you go to college determines, you know, who your close friends are, maybe who you're going to marry, you know, what your career will look like. And so I don't know, I'm leaning more towards Georgia tech. I think getting out of college debt free is, would be incredible. And it would also enable me to get my first master's degree in my fourth year of Georgia tech. And I can go get, you know, my next, uh, next couple degrees elsewhere at maybe yeah. like MIT or Caltech. Mm-hmm. So besides college, and I think it was interesting that you said, I don't know, when I asked you what's next kind of in your future. Um, and a lot of people say that. That's, that's what a lot of people kind of go through when they get out of high school. You know, a lot of us as young people, we don't actually define who we want to be and what we want to do with our lives. So I don't, I don't think it's bad that you say that. But no, 100%. I, I still like, what's your, what's your dream? Well, also, if I already knew, it wouldn't be the future. You know, the only thing that is constant is the present. You know, anything in the future, regardless of how confident you think it'll happen, it's not guaranteed. You know, even if I said I were to go to go to MIT, you know, what if I what if I were in a car crash this summer and died? You know, the only thing that is constant in the future is the fact that entropy will increase. Um, and I'm not going to explain that, but basically, it's how we can determine the ordinality of time. Yeah. Um, End goal, I think, if I have a choice, I want to work in the renewable energy field. Um, one proposition that I find pretty interesting is using machine learning and neural networks in order to optimize the U.S. electrical energy grid. Um, 
in that I think the energy crisis will be one of the big problems our generation faces. And, you know, as it is, energy is essentially the cornerstone of our society. Everything relies on it. Transportation, education, uh, manufacturing, everything. Um, so in order to, if we have a strong energy sector and one that is not reliant on a, you know, international relations, if we can be self-sufficient with our energy and also clean with it, um, I think that would be a long-term goal of it. And another problem with the energy grid, and one reason why we'll never be 100% renewable energy as it is right now, is that we don't have a centralized way to just store energy, right? Yeah. It's all made on demand. Um, and because of that, you know, if we were to say, let's say like nuclear annihilation and almost everything is closed, then we need some way to continue to develop energy until we can successfully restore infrastructure, which we should say would take at least 30 days. And renewable energy is not large or reliable enough to produce uh, U.S. energy demands for 30 whole days with no maintenance. You know, we'd have to rely on something isolated and sheltered like nuclear power. And I think, you know, addressing the energy grid and making it more efficient and also optimizing it using you know, something that can far exceed human limitations, namely possibly AI, I think that's a good goal for me to currently chase. But yeah. as it is, it's also interesting because it's not necessarily a question of science, which is what some people would be surprised by, but it's a question of economics. But like I said, I don't think there's much of a fundamental difference between economics and science. Science aims to solve problems using the laws of the universe around us, while economics aims to solve problems using... Uh, you know, the behavior of other humans and, and inherent logic as to how our society works. And I think they're really just two sides of the same coin. Absolutely. And I think that whatever you pursue in your, uh, in your future, which is not determined, which, which I'm learning from you, um, you're definitely going to be successful in it. You've truly done so much and we're going to start closing out here. So before, um, before I ask you this last question, is there anything you want to say, people you want to shout out, uh, give out your socials, anything like that? I mean, if anybody has questions, my Instagram's like, I think it's emontoya111. I don't post anything, but, you know, if you want to ask me something, feel free to reach out. If you need a tutor, shout out. I can do that. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm very fortunate in that I've never had to – really worry about anything i've had the ability to just focus on what i want to so i gotta i gotta thank my parents for that naturally and i want to i want to thank the cross-country team for always being there for me because you know when you do spend so much time studying it can be lonely and i think you know having people to support you back regardless of you know let's say if i i haven't seen some of my uh cross-country friends from last year like uh in several months at this point if i were to see them this day it'd be like nothing happened right Mm. Got to thank them. Um, I want to thank my girlfriend, Sierra Werenberg. She always supports me no matter what. Um, That's my neighbor. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. She's also brilliant. She will be attending Georgia Tech this year on uh, also a full ride. Mm. So. That's amazing, man. Well, I'm going to ask you this last question, and then yeah. I'm going to let you go. Uh, so – if you could lay down some words of, wit of inspiration and wisdom to anyone out there who wants to follow in your footsteps of greatness from being involved in as many activities as you can to becoming valedictorian, what would you say? Don't let everybody limit you. Just do it. <laughs> like, 
one thing that I guess is a little unique to my mentality is that I'm never particularly concerned with what other people think, you know, it, it sounds cliche, but people say like, it's impossible. It can't be done. Well, it can't be done because you haven't done it, but that doesn't mean I can't do it. You know, I don't care what you think. I'm a different person. If I wanted to do it, I'm going to. Um, and that's kind of been my philosophy throughout high school. Um, you know, it, it, for me, it's mostly a matter of determination. Just send it, bro. Those are words to live by. Yeah. Um, I was told them by, uh, by a close friend on cross country. I was like, oh man, I don't know if I can break five in the mile. And he, uh, he punched me and said, stop being such a wimp, bro. Just do it. Um, and you know, that works. Mm -hmm. Goes for anything. If you want to, if you want to be a valedictorian, send it, you know, while, you know, we are slightly bound by our surroundings, you should always aim to transcend them. And I think that is arguably, you know, the, the ultimate measure metric of success by which, uh, parent can define how well they did you know if their children um go beyond their limitations then i think you did a good job raising them uh but i try to take that philosophy and apply it to myself if i can go beyond my own limitations then go work so do that exceed your limitations don't be constrained full send bro that's amazing man thank you so much yeah absolutely thanks for having me on it was a good time Absolutely. So this has been episode seven of the Defiant Ones Team podcast. If you guys like what you hear and you love the amazing stories that we're sharing, like Evans, um, I will leave a link at the top of the description where you can send us a voicemail or you can tell us who you want to hear, uh, anything like that. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. You guys can get the new copy of the Defiant Ones Team magazine, which will be coming out April 15th. Our website is defiantonesmag.com. Our socials are at defiantonesmag. And I think that's all I got to say. I'll talk to you guys later. Thanks so much, Evan. You've been amazing, man. Yeah, thank you. It was a good time. I, uh, I enjoy talking. All right, man. Peace. Yeah, see you, man. Good stuff.